If you'll turn back to your outline, we just finished reading James 5, 13 through 16 in the NLT version. As I said, we're going to look at this for two weeks because it talks about two different, two different aspects or problems that we experience in our lives, our weaknesses and our illnesses, illnesses and weaknesses. Today we're going to talk about weaknesses, how God transforms our weaknesses into strengths, and then next week we'll talk about how to pray a prayer that can heal our illnesses. Um, the Amplified Translation, Amplified means it just expounds. The Amplified Translation of this last verse gives it a little bit of fuller meaning. I included it there on your outline as well. James 5.16 from the AMP says, Confess your faults to one another. Your sins, your slip-ups, your false steps, your offenses, your weaknesses. It includes all of that, false steps, weaknesses, offenses. And pray for one another so that you may be healed and restored to a spiritual tone of mind and heart. How does God do that? How does God, what is the process that God uses to transform my weaknesses into strengths? Actually, he uses three different steps. It's a three-step process. I want to talk to you about that, and then I want to give you several bullets under each one. If we have enough time, I'm going to give you an example from the life of uh, of the Apostle Paul. So listen quickly like the first service did. First thing I've got to do, first way that God transforms my weaknesses into my strengths is I've got to identify, will you fill that in there? I've got to identify my natural weaknesses. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 says, Don't think that you're better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given you. I can't work on a weakness unless I call it out and identify it first. I've got to be specific. You know, we like to talk in generalities. You're like, well, Lord, help me with my, help me with my weaknesses. Bring us world peace. God bless us everyone, Tiny Tim said. But God says, no, I want you to be specific. Not just say, well, we all have weaknesses, but talk about, not in general, but specifically, what are my weaknesses? The Bible says, be honest in your estimate of yourself. Don't think of yourself better than you are. Be specific. So we've got to kind of pull out a pad or at least a 3 by 5 card and a pen and start saying, okay, I've got to own up to some of this. Maybe you write down, yep, I'm lazy, or I'm a hothead, or I'm, I tend to exaggerate, or I'm late all the time, or I'm an overreactor, or I, 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 I'm a perfectionist. Those are just some from my list. Not all of them. You have to figure out, you get to know me, which ones. Is, it's like two truths and a lie there. Um, but I've got I've to ask myself, what are my weaknesses? What are my weaknesses? And be specific about it and identify them. You know, in, in Acts chapter 14, verse 15, this is really the, called the second great confession of the Bible. The first confession is when Peter, when Peter looks at Jesus and he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. We all, we all have to come to that place where we make that first confession. You, Jesus, you are the Christ the Savior of the world, the Son of the living God. Well, the second confession, great confession, is Paul's confession in Acts 14, verse 15, where he says, 
we're merely human beings just like you. See, they had come to this, to this city, and they had healed some people. Now, when they healed some people, the people that were healed and their relatives, they're like, this is a miracle. This is, this is supernatural. So they wanted to turn Paul and his, and his companions into, into gods. So they fall on the ground and they start worshiping. Them. Whoa, 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 no, 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 no. This is not us. We're merely humans just like you are. And we have to hold those two truths, those two confessions, in balance. God is God, and we're not. God is God, and I'm not. God's God, and you're not. We talk about that all the time. Now, we've got to recognize who God is, and it's not me. He wants to use your weaknesses. We're merely humans. It starts with identifying who we are, and what the weaknesses of our life is, because we can't work on them until we can identify them. Then the second thing, the second step that God uses, once I identify, I look at that list, however big, however short it is, and I, I must learn how God wants to use my weaknesses. Will you fill that in? I've got to learn how God wants to use my weaknesses. You say, God wants to use my weaknesses? Absolutely. He wants to use my weaknesses. He wants to use your weaknesses. And he wants to turn them into strengths in our life. You see, God can even use the bad things in our life for good. How is God going to use my weaknesses for good? I want to give you four four suggestions, four things you can jot down in these bullet points under number two. First thing, my weaknesses should prevent arrogance. Will you fill that in there? My weaknesses should prevent arrogance. They should make me a much more humble, they should make me a much more humble person. When I realize I'm not perfect, I don't have it all together, my life, not everything's going perfect in my life. Paul says it like this. Now, this is the Apostle Paul. He says, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan, to torment me. And keep me from becoming proud. You're saying God God allowed a messenger from Satan to torment Paul? Yes, he did. Why would God do that? Well, Paul tells us. To keep me from becoming proud or arrogant. He goes on in verse 8. He says, three different times I prayed, I begged, he says, the Lord, to take it away. And each time God said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses, Paul says, so that the power of Christ can work through me. So the first value of having my weaknesses written down is it makes me more human. It makes me more humble. It it ought to make me less prideful and less arrogant when I keep those things in front of me. The second thing about weaknesses is my weaknesses should cause me to value other people. My weaknesses should cause me to value others. Other people in my life, other people in my family, other people in my company, other people in my church. 1 Corinthians 12:22 Paul writes and he says to them, he gives them kind of a 
biology lesson, he says some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are really the most necessary. Now, we know a lot more about medicine today, but we know it's even more true than what Paul was even saying. I mean, more than he knew. There are some things in our bodies that they're not very prominent, but they're essential. You've probably or you've hopefully never seen your spleen, right? Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully you've never seen your pancreas. Hope you never do, right? Uh, I, I, you ha, you've never seen your liver. You've never seen your kidneys. They're not prominent, but they're essential. They're significant. The same thing in the body of Christ, that's what he's writing about. He says, you know, some people, they seem prominent. They seem up front. You can see what they do. Other people, they have talents, gifts that are real behind the scenes. You'll never see them. They're not prompt, but boy, are they essential. And when we recognize that we don't have all the answers and we don't have all the gifts and we don't have all the talents, it makes us realize that other people in our life, other people in our church family, other people in our our nuclear family, other people in our in our company, that they have gifts and talents that we don't have. And those gifts and talents we benefit from. I need their gift. I need their values. So my weaknesses should help me to realize that other people are important in my life. Third thing, my weaknesses should make me more dependent on God. This is, I think this is something that we've learned through 2020 better than most years is we've, we've been faced with a lot of weaknesses, a lot of our own personal weaknesses. And hopefully, you've gotten through this year by, by becoming more dependent on God. Because when I realize that I can't do something on my own, I can't fight a disease necessarily, an invisible disease on my own, I can't change the economy on my own, I can't fix my 401k on my own, I become more and more dependent on God when I start to realize that I have some weaknesses. Paul writes to the Corinthians in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians. We read this. He says, each time God said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Underline or circle that phrase, my power works best in weakness. Did you know that? That God says his power works best, shows up best in weak people. In fact, if we have no weaknesses, or at least if... If we think we have no weaknesses, then we think we don't need God. If we think we have no weaknesses, then we think, I don't need anybody else. I'm self-sufficient on my own. By the way, if you think you have no weaknesses, your weakness might be denial. Right? Paul says as a result in the next, in the next verse, verse 10, he says, That's why I take pleasure in, in, in my weakness. And in my insults, and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Look at those four words there. Insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles. That's what it means when we follow Christ. We're going to experience those four things in our lives. You're like, well, Jerry, I like that. 
I want I get a mansion in the sky song in verse, you know. I don't like this part. I don't want to be insulted. I don't want to face persecution. I don't want to have hardships. I don't like 2020. You don't have to like it, but know that Jesus is the one who said, in this world you will have trouble. Not you might have trouble, not possibly, not some of you. In this world you will have trouble. We're learning that through 2020, aren't we? Do we do this? Do we realize we're weak or we have weaknesses? And do we allow this to make us more dependent on God? That's one of the benefits of recognizing our weaknesses. In fact, Paul finally says this in the second half of verse 9, right before what I just read you. He says, now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so the power of Christ can work through me. You see, God uses me in spite of my weaknesses. God uses you or he wants to, in spite of your weaknesses. If God only used perfect people, by the way, there are no perfect people in our church. If you're perfect, I'm just so sorry, you're not welcome, or you have to go to some other church and find a perfect church. They don't exist, right? Because churches are made up of imperfect people. Jesus is the only one who ever lived a perfect life. All of the rest of us, we have plenty of weaknesses. So God uses me in spite of my weaknesses. He uses you in spite of your weaknesses. There are no perfect people. If he only used perfect people, nothing would get done because there are none. So Paul says, I celebrate my weakness. He says, I want you to learn to see that list of weaknesses to be something to actually make you become more dependent on Jesus, on Christ, so that he can transform those weaknesses into strengths, and it brings him glory. God gets a lot of glory. Listen, when, when you accomplish something and it's not in your strength, it's in your weakness, then God gets glory for that. If you're seven feet tall and you can dunk a basketball, we're not impressed. You're seven feet tall. Good grief. But if you're seven foot tall and you've got weaknesses that you're willing to share and talk about and we learn, now we're impressed because I'll, ne- I'll never dunk a basketball. You know, but your weaknesses can encourage me in other areas. This is the last one. My weakness should give me a ministry. You realize that God wants to not only, he wants to use your weaknesses in ministry, not just your strengths. He wants to use your, in fact, you might not think, you, you might think, well, Jerry, you know, God could never use me in any kind of ministry. or ministry. My life is a mess. Some of you would say, you know, it's been a mess for decades. My marriage is a, a mess. My, my career is a mess. My life is a mess. I got good news for you. God is, God makes a, he makes himself famous by using our messes for ministry. The mess. The more messed up your life is, the more potential you have for God to use. And some of you would say, well, man, i got a lot of potential then because my life is a mess. Or my marriage is a mess. Or my career, my kids, eh, my family's a mess. You're like, Jerry, there's no black sheep in my family. You know, We're all black sheep, you know. My weakness should give me a ministry. Look what he says in verse 4 of chapter 1. This is a key verse, and sometimes I use this um, to comfort a family that's going through the grief of losing someone. Many of you have lost people this year. It's been a difficult, difficult year. 
2 Corinthians 1, 4, I always bring up, he says, God comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When we are troubled, when they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. God allows us to go through problems. God allows us to go through pain. He allows us to go through hurts and trials. And he gets us through. Some of you, God has gotten you through some incredible things just this year. And he's done that not just because he loves you, but he has a purpose in your pain. He wants you to turn around now and use whatever that problem, whatever that hurt, whatever that pain was to help other people. That's his purpose. If we didn't go through a problem, if we didn't go through pain, we wouldn't be able to help other people who are going through those same things. In other words, who better can help somebody who struggles with an addiction than someone who's worked through addictions problems? Who can help somebody struggle with a loss of a child or a death in the family or someone who's experienced a divorce? Who can help them better than someone who's lost a child themselves or experienced a death in their family or someone who's gone through a divorce? Who better, who can help somebody better that's going through a miscarriage than a woman who themselves has had a miscarriage? Who better to help someone who's going through some kind of abuse or have gone through an abuse to recover from that than someone who themselves have been abused? Now, I've just mentioned several areas of life that are so painful. An addiction, a death in the family, a divorce, a miscarriage, abuse. Just me bringing them up. It's like, I don't want to go there. I don't want to think about that. It's Christmas week. I don't want. We insulate ourselves from the pain of our past by not dealing with it or not thinking about it. And what God's saying is, no, no, no. I want to redeem that. I want to use that pain, heal you from that pain so that you can then Help other people get through it. Now, as your pastor, look, I'm sorry for your pain. I will weep with you through that time of healing. I'm sorry that you've experienced those things in your life. But God has a purpose for your pain. I wish it hadn't happened. But now that it has, I guess what I'm saying is don't waste the hurt. Don't waste the pain. Let God redeem it and use it to help other people. Don't waste it. That's what we always say here. God never wastes a hurt. Don't you waste the hurt. Use it to help others. God says, I want to take even your weaknesses, even not just your strengths, but your weaknesses, your most painful experiences, and I want to heal you. But I want to heal you for a purpose of helping others. Because really that's where the real healing comes in our life. One time Jesus told Peter, He says to Peter, he says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. You know the story. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he says to Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows in the morning. Peter's like, no way, Jose. Peter's like, that's not going to happen. Peter's like, I rebuke you in the name of, oh, you are Jesus. I don't don't know what to do with this. You know, Peter, Peter is, he is, there's no way in his mind he's going to deny Jesus. Now, interesting, Jesus moves right past that. And Jesus, he, he says, not only will you, but when you do, he says, when you come back, let me just read you the verse. Luke 22, verse 32, Jesus says to Peter, when you turn back to me, you must strengthen your brothers. 
Jesus not only knew that Peter was going to stumble, Jesus knew that Peter was going to, not only did he know he's going to fall, betray him, but he knew that he was going to come back. And he's given him instructions on how to use his pain, how to use his mistakes, how to, how to use his weakness to help other people. He says, when you turn back to me. It hasn't even happened yet. Peter hasn't even sinned yet. He hasn't even fallen yet. That's the kind of God we serve. The very things you're going to do that this week, you're going to mess up. You're going to have faults. You're going to, you're going to sin. God already has a plan to heal you from your weaknesses, transform you, and use those weaknesses to help others. So when I look at my weaknesses, just to review... God says, I'm going to turn them into your strengths. How's he going to do that? First, I've got to identify them. Then I've got to, I've got to recognize them and call it what it is. Don't, you know, don't say, well, everybody, it's no big deal. Call it what it is, a weakness. And then, then realize that God wants to use it. The third thing I want you to jot down, the third step. See, we're both, we're all fine with the first two. The third step in this prescription is the one that we all want to go, whoa, 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 time out. You had me uh, make a list, you know, I don't have to tell everybody, you know, nobody can find it. But look what this is. I must openly admit my weaknesses to change them. And we're all like, I don't like this part. And I get it. I don't like this part either. I must openly, I mean, we all have things we would like to change about ourselves. And if we are honest... And we should be honest, it's his church. There are some things we've been, we've been trying to change or wanting to change for decades, maybe for 50 years. But they're never going to change as long as we keep them a secret. They're only going to change when we finally tell somebody about them. And we're like, no, 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 I don't like this, I don't like that. This is embarrassing. If I tell somebody, it'll be humiliating. If I tell somebody, Jerry, it will humble me. That's God's point. You see, if we, if we could change, we would change. But we can't change, so we won't change. The only way to change God's prescription, to change those weaknesses that we've had our entire life, it's to start inviting other people to help us with them. And when we admit our weaknesses, then God gets involved and we can start changing them. We really can't change until we share them with somebody. Now, we don't have to tell everybody. Don't sit down for an interview with the New York Times. Tell them all your weaknesses. They'll get it all wrong anyway. Right? But you've got to tell somebody who loves you. You've got to tell somebody who's going to stick with you no, no matter what. You've got to tell somebody who's going to love you unconditionally. You don't have to tell the whole neighborhood. God's plan isn't even that you tell your pastor or priest or whatever. In fact, I encourage you not to. I, I have my own small group, other people that are already working with. I don't want to know everybody's. This is the value of a small group. This is the value of having a spiritual mentor. This is the value of having an accountability partner, whatever you want to call it. This is the value of, I had a friend of mine who used to call it, you know, you need a Bible sponsor. You need a Bible buddy. And like, what is that? That's somebody you go to lunch with once a month, and over a year's time, you share. You don't talk about 
fantasy football and the weather, you talk about spiritual things with this person. You don't have to do that with everybody. And they can even be on your, spirit, on your fantasy football team. But at this, at this lunch, we're talking about some spiritual things. And at some point, you're going to go, hey, you know, I have some weaknesses I'd like to talk about. Maybe get you to pray for me about this. Because that's the key component is we share with somebody else and they pray for us. And then God says, when I see that happen, I'm going to help change your weakness into a strength. When we admit it. Now, let me give you some reasons from Scripture where God says to be vulnerable. That's what vulnerable. What is vulnerability? Vulnerability is being open and honest to somebody else about my own weaknesses. I want you to jot these down. Vulnerability, number one reason to be vulnerable is it's spiritually empowering. All of these verses I'm going to read you right now are from the book of James. James has so much in it. That's why we spent so, so much time in it. We talked about this verse a couple of times. James 4, 6. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. What is grace? Grace is a power that I need to change. Grace is the energy, the strength, and the power to break through my habits, to break through my bad habits and change them. They're my weaknesses. How do I get God's grace? James tells us, be humble. When I'm vulnerable and I admit to someone where I'm weak, where I'm having a hard time, where I'm struggling in this area, it opens up the doors to God's grace, which is the power to change. Vulnerability is spiritually empowering. The second thing I want you to jot down is vulnerability is emotionally healing. Emotionally healing, this is the verse that we started at the very beginning, James 5.16. Confess your faults to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. Circle the word healed. Now, if all you want is to be forgiven, you and God can handle this. It was like, I just, I just want to be forgiven, God, so I confess my sins, my faults to you. God forgives you. If all you want to be forgiven, all you got to do is talk to God. But if you want to be healed... He says, you've got to involve somebody else. The healing is going to come when you humble yourself and you ask them to pray for you. Can I just pray for myself? No, nope, that's not God's recipe. But I don't like that. I get it. I don't either. So why do I have to do it this way? Because this is the way that God wants to transform our weaknesses into our strengths. If we want to be healed. You've heard me say many times, revealing our feelings is the beginning of healing. I didn't set this up. God says, confess your faults with each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. This is the pathway to wholeness and transformation. We may, we may say, well, I just can't tell anybody. i am just never shared this with anybody. Jerry, I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm 53 years old. I've never told anybody about this. I just can't. Well, then we're going to stay stuck. And those weaknesses the rest of our lives, those ones that we haven't been able to change in five decades, it's going to take another five decades. And we're still going to stay stuck unless we do it the way God says. We've got to learn to confess. Again, not everybody. You don't need to confess to ten people. You need to develop a relationship with one or two people that you can get them to pray for you and be vulnerable because it's emotionally healing. Third thing, vulnerability is relationally attractive. What is that? Relationally attractive. Yes. You want to be a more attractive man? You want to be a more attractive woman? You're like, well, no, I'm married. 
like, well, even if you're married, you should want to be a more attractive spouse. I mean, that's why your spouse drug you here today. Um, they're praying you'll become. <laughs> the more vulnerable you are, it's very. It's, this is why we like James so much. Now I told you, James, he's kind of an in-your-face. He will kind of smack. I mean, he's like, boom, you know, man, that was blunt. But one of the reasons why we like James and we allow him to be so blunt with us is because James starts in verse uh, chapter 3, verse 2, and he says, we all stumble in many ways. And we read that verse, and we're, and we're nodding our heads, and we're going, yep, James is a guy I can relate to because he didn't say, you all stumble in many ways. He says he includes himself with all of us. He says, we all stumble. We're all in the same boat, he's saying. And anytime you meet someone who says, you know, we all mess up, not you mess up, but we all mess up, we, we say to ourselves, you know, that guy, he doesn't think he's so hot. He doesn't think he's so spiritually superior to me. He's relatable. She's relatable. Vulnerability, authenticness, authenticity is, is relationally attractive. Nobody wants to date a stuck-up person, a narcissist, an egotist. Nobody wants to be married to one. Nobody wants to work for one. When you're vulnerable, though, and you can admit your weaknesses, and you can even laugh at your weaknesses or, or, or joke about yourself and say, you know, we all stumble. We all make mistakes. We're, none of us are perfect. When we're honest that way, it's relationally attractive. People are drawn to us, not they don't run from us. So why should I learn to be open about it? It's spiritually empowering. It's emotionally healing. It's relationally attractive. The last one I want you to jot down is, is actually that vulnerability is a requirement for biblical leadership, for leadership. All through the Bible, it talks about leaders being real, being authentic, leaders being vulnerable. If we can't be vulnerable, well, we're not a leader. You may have a title. You may be a dictator. You may be a boss, but nobody's following you. They're not playing follow the leader. They're just trapped in a paycheck or trapped in a position, or maybe they're trapped in your household. James 3.13 says, if you're wise, circle the word wise, if you're wise and understand God's ways, he gets a little blunt, like I said. If you're wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life and doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. He's saying the more wise we become, the more humble we become. The wiser we are, the more humble we are. Fools are stuck up. Fools are egotistical. Fools are prideful. Fools are arrogant. The wise person... The more wise you become, the more humble you become. James 4.10 says, humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. What does that mean, he lifts you up? He, he raises you up to a position of prominence and leadership. If you humble yourself before the Lord, he'll lift you up. Vulnerability is a mark of mature leadership. Now, it's interesting to me, and that's why I wanted to make sure we had enough time to talk about one of the greatest leaders that has ever, ever existed, the Apostle Paul. 
Paul was one of the greatest, not only Christian leaders, he was just one of the greatest leaders to ever live. He wrote about half of the New Testament. Yeah, he is an example of vulnerability. Paul was highly educated. I mean, he went to like Harvard, okay, of his day. Paul was uh, a man of prominence when he was Saul. Paul was extremely intelligent. He was an incredible debater. He knew, but Paul had the ability to be vulnerable. And it's one of his greatest weaknesses that became a strength. He's probably one of the greatest Christians ever live other than Jesus Christ himself. Yet Paul says this about himself. He says in 2 Corinthians 6.11, he says, We have spoken honestly with you and our hearts are open to you. Opening our heart wide to you. Our hearts are open to you. What does that mean? That's vulnerability. He's saying our hearts are open to you in the way we talk, in the way we walk, in the way we act, in the way we share, in the way we teach. So Paul is an example of a true leader. And I want to take his example of vulnerability and apply it to a true leader. A true leader admits his or her, would you write this first one down? A true leader admits his or her frustrations. A true leader admits his or her frustrations. Paul says, he writes to the church and he says, look, I think, I think you guys need to know about our frustrations. He says, we had a hard time when we were going through Asia. In fact, we were crushed, we were overwhelmed, we faced enormous odds. We, we didn't think we were even going to live. We felt doomed, we thought we were going to die. We felt powerless to help ourselves. I'm going to read you the scripture and I want you to again see how 2020 just looms in the background of this verse. Paul says, he writes in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 8 and 9, We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. And we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. I know people who have had COVID this year that as soon as they heard this diagnosis and they were experiencing the shortness of breath and respiratory problems, they just thought they were going to die. I spent many, many, I guess, hours even on the phone with people saying, hey, listen, this is not a death sentence. You can fight this. Here's here's a 78-year-old woman I know that's, that's survived. Here's another person over their 70s that have survived. Here's another person. And they had no hope. They just thought this, this is over rover game over but no i said we're going to pray for you you know I, I can't come over and anoint you with oil but i'm doing that over the phone and i can't tell you how many people have made it through i'm praying for somebody right now um hopefully i can share it with you next week she's 99 years old and has covid 99 yeah she's gonna she's gonna beat it too we're gonna pray her through it uh, i'll tell you about that next week when we talk about praying and you know what? Even if God takes her home, 99, I don't want to, I'm just saying, my 100th birthday, I'd like that to be in heaven, Lord. <laughs> you know? Um, amen, yes. So a leader admits his frustration. Next one, a true leader admits his or her faults. Not just frustration, but faults. That means we admit, we say, you know what? I don't have everything that's needed to get this job done, no matter what your position is. You might be the president of your company. 
He said, I don't have everything needed to get this job done. There are things that I need. There are talents that I need. There are perspectives that I need that I don't have that my teammates have. We almost all work with a team. I'm not competent in every area. Look what Paul says. Wow, this is a verse. This today's English version of 2 Corinthians 3.5 says, There is nothing in us that allows us to claim that we're capable of doing this work because nothing in myself says I'm capable of doing this work. The capacity we have comes from God. You know, when I read that verse, I put myself in there and I say, There's nothing in me that allows me to claim that I'm capable of being a pastor, of doing this work. Because there's nothing in me that says I'm capable of doing this work. The capacity I have to be a pastor, it all comes from God. You can apply that to your position, in your company, in your business, in your family, in your neighborhood, just like that. That's admitting my my faults. I don't have all the answers. God doesn't give any of us all the answers. He wants us to be interdependent on each other it's by his design so a leader is honest about his or her frustrations honest about his or her faults true leader admits his or her failures oh this is hard for some people if you ever meet a person who can't admit their failures i was wrong i messed up i made a mistake they're not a leader. Some of you, you grew up with dads like that. If you grew up with a dad, I mean, some of you, my dad was never wrong. My dad would never admit that he was wrong. He would never say, I'm sorry. I'm tell- and now you're old enough to know. You know, I mean, that works when you're 10. But when you're, when you're 20, 30, 40, you start to realize, my dad was a fool. And I'll tell you that. If you grew up with a dad who never said he was wrong, never admitted he was, never admitted his fault, never said I'm sorry, you grew up with a very foolish man, stupid man. That's what the word means. It's foolish in the Bible. You don't have to tell him I said that, but feel free if you need to. But the point is not my dad was foolish. The point is don't be the foolish dad. Don't be the foolish, arrogant mom. Who never admits when you're wrong. Never says you're sorry. If you've never said you're sorry for your kids, what's wrong with you? And I say my sorry. I have to say I'm sorry to my grandkids now. You know, because I mess up. And they know it. So you're only fooling yourself. Fooling yourself. So a true leader admits his or her faults. A true leader admits their frustrations. And they miss they admit their failures. Nobody bat let me just read you First Timothy one fifteen. Now remember this apostle Paul writing this. He says, I'm the worst of all sinners. Now Paul is not waxing on, he's not exaggerating. Paul, he knew himself and he knew when he walks in a room, there's no sinner worse than me. I'm as I'm as great a sinner as anybody. I am the worst of all sinners. You ever heard a politician say that? Not likely. Have you ever said that? You walk in a room and think, man, all these terrible people. Or you realize, I'm just like them. 
And then Paul gets really specific. He doesn't just talk in generalities. In Romans 7, 18 and 19, he says, For even though the desire to do good is in me, I'm not able to do it. I don't do the good I want to do. Instead, I do the evil I don't want to do. Does that sound familiar? That sounds like I could write that. You see, I know what's right and what's wrong. And I choose to do what's wrong. That's much worse than someone who doesn't know right from wrong, and they just stumble into wrong. But no, I'm a Christian. I know what the Bible says. I'm a Christ follower. I know right from wrong, and I choose wrong. If you want to be vulnerable, if you want God's blessing in your life, you want to change your weaknesses into strengths, it takes that kind of honesty with your teenager with your spouse, with your best friends. A real leader admits their frustration, faults, and failures. And finally, a a true leader admits his or her fears. Because now we're really getting somewhere when we share. Look what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I came to you in weakness, timid, and trembling. I did this so that you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. He says, when I came to you, I wasn't like acting like I had it all together. I came to you and I was vulnerable and I was real. Because I didn't want you to to put your faith in man's wisdom or human wisdom. I wanted you to put your faith in God, God's power. Can we do that? Can we admit our fears to our spouses, to our to our kids, to the people that we're leading? All right. We're out of time, so I want to give you your homework. Now, I know. It's winter break, it's Christmas break, and you're like, woo, 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 no church next week, all right. I could kind of watch online, you know. But as a good professor, a good teacher, not one that you like, but a good one, I want to give you your homework for Christmas break. You're like, oh, no, yes. Even though it's Christmas, I want you to take out a three-by-five card, and I want you to write down your weaknesses, Okay. Maybe you, maybe you can't fit on a 3x5 card. You need a 3x5 poster board, whatever you need. Um, don't get a 30x50 poster board. That would be telling everybody. That's a billboard, okay? Keep it. And I, I want you to write down those, and then I want you to look at that list, and I want you to say, God, you want to use this as strength in my life for good and ministry? Yes. And then here's my prayer for you. My prayer for you from Isaiah 35, verse 3 to 4. And I'm asking God for all of us, give strength to hands that are tired and steady to the knees that tremble with weakness. Boy, that's all of us in 2020. Tell everyone who is discouraged to be strong. Isn't that us? Aren't you discouraged? Don't be afraid because God is coming to your rescue. Listen, God's going to rescue us. Okay? The 2020 is not going to rule our lives forever. God's on the throne. Now, if you've never opened your life to Jesus Christ, you really don't have the power to do these things that we've been talking about. In fact, truth is, if you're not a Christian or Christ follower, you don't even have to do these. This is all just, he's writing this to the believers. But if you want help with your weaknesses, then you're going to have to have the grace and the power of Jesus in your life. How do you get Jesus in your life? Just what we've been talking about. You've got to humble yourself. You've got to recognize God's God, I'm not, and Jesus, I need you in my life to change me. I'd love to lead you in a prayer to do that right now. Why don't you bow your heads with me?
First, let me pray for you. God, you know the people who are listening to this message right now, and we're all in different situations. We all have different needs. We have different fears. We have different frustrations. We've all had different failures. Lord, we even all have different faults. And God, we're not satisfied with being the way we are. We all want to grow. We want to be better. We want to be different. We want to be better people, not bitter people, but better people. We all know we can't do this on our own. We can't do it without you. So we start this process by humbling ourselves before you. Now, maybe you're here and you've never invited Jesus into your life. Then you you start by saying this prayer. Say, God. I realize that you're God and I'm not. Just start with the two confessions. God, you're God and I'm not. And I realize I've tried to change a lot of things in my life and I just can't without your power, without your grace. So you just pray this. If you're at home in your living room or you're on vacation in the mountains or at the beach or you're right here in the pavilion, you just say, so Jesus Christ, this is your prayer to invite him in. So Jesus Christ, as much as I know how, you don't even have to say it out loud, just think it. Jesus Christ, as much as I know how, I'm asking you to fill my life with your love and with your power. And I'm asking you to change me from the inside out, my weaknesses into strengths. And I want to follow you for the rest of my life. I want to learn more about you. And I want to learn to trust you. And I want to do what you made me to do with my life. God, I want to follow your purpose for my life. So I humbly ask you to accept me into your family. And I accept Jesus as my Savior. It's in your name I pray, Jesus. Amen.